Hi, I'm Mike Grody, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and this time around, I'm joined once again by Mike Rohde. He's been a guest in the past. I've not only had conversations with him on this podcast, but on previous podcasts that I've done. And we did this because it's the 10th anniversary of the Sketchnote Handbook. Literally, as you are listening to this, the day it is launched, that's what's going on. And so we wanted to have this conversation to see where the sketchnoting community has gone, what's happened with him, what he expected, what surprised him, and all things in between. Now, Mike is a designer, teacher, and he's the author of the Sketchnote Handbook, as well as the Sketchnote Workbook. He's the co-creator of the Sketchnote Idea Book. I have all of those. He's the founder of the Sketchnote Army, and he's an illustrator of Rework Remote and the $100 Startup. We allude to his success in those areas as well. He lives in Milwaukee, uh, which I've also spent a little bit of time in, at least in the airport. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we had an absolute blast catching up. So here is my conversation with Mike Rohde. Enjoy. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today on the program. It's, I mean, we were saying just before we hit record, you've been a pretty frequent guest and there's a pretty momentous occasion as to why you're here again, especially since we're launching this episode on the actual day that really it is, is the day, right? Yeah. The 10th birthday of the sketch of handbook. I have a copy here. The, the latest version has a little sticker we've added. Ah, celebrate that. So that's a, uh, if you're if you're into like you know if you're a, like a field notes collector that might be worth purchasing for that alone, um, but it's um, yes ten years old today as we record as we release this very exciting never would have imagined when we did the work that ten years later we'd be celebrating a tenth birthday or a tenth anniversary however you want to look at it. Well, and what's what's interesting is again as I kind of look at this. You know, the, the, I'm holding the original version in my hands. Um, it's there's been a lot that's happened in that ten years. Like yeah. I, I've been thinking about, you know, as I was going through some of the archives of, of our conversations. But not only that, but like just going through some of the stuff that I have. So the tenth anniversary of the Sketchnote Handbook, November thirtieth, which is when this episode goes live for everybody else. And by the way, if you're a premium member, you can actually watch the recording of our conversation so you can see these handbooks if you're a member of Time Crafting Trust Premium. But the, you've, you've then expanded it. Like there's this sketch note workbook, which came out, I think, a couple years later. Two years later, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there is the Kickstarter campaign of the sketch note idea book, which I also exactly. have, right? Yeah. So can you imagine <clears throat> when you were putting together this book 10 years ago, that sketchnoting would have become the kind of well-known phenomenon that it's become. I certainly had hoped that that would be the case, but it was not clear at that point. So when we did the book, I'd been doing sketchnoting about five years, had done a lot of experimenting, um, and there were other people doing it, so it wasn't me alone. So in some ways, I really started it all uh, in early 2007. That's when it really began with intention. As I look back in my career, like in my college days, I was doing sketchnoting of my college courses in design school. Um, and even back before that, I probably could identify what you would call sketchnoting before that. But I didn't have a name for it. I wasn't intentional about it. So it really was that spring of 20, 2007 where I was intentional about it. So uh, for about five years till 2012, I did just all kinds of experiments. I went to events. I was hired by 
organizations to come and capture their events and share them. It was uh, really intertwined with South by Southwest Interactive, the yep. event uh, in Austin, Texas. So that was a real connective part of it. Um, I would say uh, the service Flickr for old school people like me, uh, Flickr was a huge part of it. And a lot of the reason that Flickr was because I could get access, but also Flickr was one of the earlier, maybe the only uh, services that offered Creative Commons licensing, which um, if you think about the cascade was, I could put samples of my work that I'd done at events. I could put a Creative Commons license that gave people the rights to post with simply attribution. So I would never have to get an email or approve anything. They would just paste it in with an embed code and put my name there. Uh, and they were good. So at the time when blogging was at its peak, I started to see my work appear on blogs because of that. So all those things kind of mixed together and led to that 2012. So I saw the movement of the, uh, I guess, the the movement of the movement, mm -hmm. <laughs> the movement of sketchnoting over those five years. And I had a sense that it was catching people's attention. But at the time, all I could perceive were that there were a lot of designers, uh, IA designers, UX designers, people like me who were using it because it made sense. It fit for them. And the stuff that I was capturing were design conferences or South by Southwest Interactive, right? Maybe developers and coders and uh, product owners and stuff would also be considered in that group. But it was kind of contained to that space. What I didn't, I couldn't have imagined was how much of an uptake the educational uh, space would have for sketchnoting. Maybe that's even the strongest in some ways, or which countries would come to dominate and be really into sketchnoting, like Germany, as an example, is a huge place for sketchnoters and products and trainings and stuff like that. So some there were just so many things I could never have imagined uh, at the cusp of writing a book. And, you know, honestly, we didn't even know if the book would sell or not. We had a pretty good sense and we were we did a lot of things that we thought would work because we knew that we like those things and we were the target audience, which was, again, designers, developers, product owners, stuff, that kind of space. So, so we we started, went from there. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I think about the idea of when someone starts doing something, they're generally solving their own problem, right? So right. like sketchnoting, explain to me, and for those that aren't familiar, what problem sketchnoting solved for you? It's kind of like when I've had Ryder Carroll on the show before talking about yeah. bullet journaling and stuff like that. And most people who create something, it's like they're trying to, they don't find a solution out there. They they're, they invent a solution to a problem they have. So what was mm -hmm. that for you? Well, that was frustration with note-taking, um, pretty, pretty simply put. Um, and I can explain sort of where I had come to. Uh, and that's the funny thing, looking back in time when I was a college student and I didn't have technology because I was, you know, uh, taking graphic design at the time, I was doing sketchnoting. I didn't have a name for it. It was just the way I did my notes. But I somehow lost track of that because I was also technical. I love the tech space and I've always had one foot in the art space and design space and another foot in technical space. So as a designer, I was both a, a senior designer and the uh, system manager, like running the backup tapes and setting up the ethernet. And like, that was just always part of where I came from and the way I was trained. And so um, I think I let the technical side sort of overtake the other side a little bit as I got into the early 2000s. Like I was really enamored with blogging and all that stuff. So I started taking notes uh, by typing, obviously. But then I, I sort of, I don't know how this happened, but I translated 
this idea that I had to write everything down and be, you know, almost like a court reporter or something with paper notebooks. I wanted to get back into paper. So my natural thing was, well, you take the thing you do with your keyboard, which is typing everything or trying to type everything, and you transfer it to paper and you just try to write everything. Well, that just wasn't working. It was terrible because I always felt like I was missing something. It felt like a burden. It wasn't enjoyable to take notes. I got to the point where I would, I switched to a pencil mm-hmm. thinking that I could repair mistakes. I had big notebooks with lined pages and would write as much as I could. And then the, the worst of all, I would finish the notes and then wouldn't want to look at them again because it was just so much work to like reprocess them. And that was really the frustration point that got me to say, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this than what I'm doing now. What should I do? And Often my natural reaction is to invert uh, the invert the specs and see what happens. So from a large book to a small pocket notebook, so it's easy to carry mm-hmm. from a pencil to a gel pen, because it would require me to make a decision about what went on the paper. And when it was on the paper, it was yep. on the paper. You couldn't erase it. So it the com- I think the combination of this, knowing I couldn't write everything, knowing I had to commit, pushed me to a different space at the next event that where I experimented with this idea to say, I need to really think about what is going on the page before I put it there. So I started doing all this analysis in my head um, before it went on the page, which I think was really the key to it. I was really listening, paying attention, making decisions, and then I could then play and have fun because I had all this free time because I wasn't writing everything to like do drawings and do lettering and sort of play with layouts and stuff like that. And it suddenly became fun. It was just incredible how much night and day fun uh, emerged in just making that inverted, uh, you know, George Costanza style, do everything opposite uh, decision and then trying it out at an event. And I just, it just took off from there. I kept trying it in different ways, like South by Southwest, as I I mentioned, The, the challenge was, okay, I've done a couple of small events. Can I do this for a week? Like, which would break first, my brain or my hand? And it turned out my brain was actually the what got tired first, right? Because of all the processing. So um, that's really the origin of all the all the stuff that has come from. Uh, I, I know in the book, both in, in the, the handbook and even in the workbook, you talk about the idea of how to integrate it. But uh, one of the members of Time Crafting Trust Premium asks, you know, and, and I think this is a great question, how can a person integrate sketches into note-taking because I don't think it's, mm-hmm. it's a, and like you even said, you iterated, right? Like it wasn't like an all right. or nothing, like, okay, I'm going to switch from this to this. Like it was a, it was a process, right? Yeah. It started as an experiment. Uh, I didn't know what was going to come out of that. Um, and if you, if you, it would be really interesting. It's actually an idea for a blog post is to look at my very first sketch notes and track the progression over time, because there's definitely one. Uh, now I, you know, in the beginning, I use these little pocket-sized moleskins and only black and white. That was sort of my limitation. I did that for years. And then I started to expand. I went to an A5 book and started bringing in secondary colors. And then the iPad was good enough to actually do this work. So then the iPad became part of the mix, right? Some mm-hmm. In some cases. So there is definitely a progression. And I would say when I teach the, the workshop for people and I talk about how do I start this, I always say start with the smallest uh, commitment that you can. And an experiment with it. I'm just huge into experimentation. So let's say, say you're someone that writes notes, just, you know, normal text. So one way to do it is to reserve like maybe uh, one quarter of your page on the right for some images, just a little column. 
and you continue to write just the way you always do. And now you've got this other column here on the right where you can draw images of the things that represent the ideas to the left. That could be a really good way to begin. As you, as you start to do this more and experiment and see how you feel about it, maybe then the dividing line sort of goes 50-50, right? So you've got text on the left and images on the right, or maybe you start to then integrate the images into the text in a different way and start playing with it. Um, and, I, and I would recommend to, if you're going to experiment, don't do this in like a very important board meeting where you might, you know, like do it in something that's low, low uh, stakes right. so that you can have fun and experiment and not be under the, under the gun, right? Or under pressure. And then slowly work your way into it, like do a little bit and then keep expanding that and see, okay, this, now I'm going to try, I'm going to try doing bold uh, headlines, right? That might be, hey, that's even your first thing is. I'm just going to do bold headlines in my notes and see how that feels. And the next experiment would be bold headlines plus uh, three images on the right column. And then the next one would be bold headlines, uh, five images, two integrated, right? You can sort of like do a little plan or try stuff out. That would be the way I would think about this for someone who hasn't done this before. And the, I, the, the two other things I would say if you're around this question is, number one, have a lot of grace for yourself because... If you haven't done this before, you're not going to be good at it. Um, that's just reality. So accept that and be cool with it. And then the second thing would be um, to just uh, have fun. Like think about it as, an, again, as an experiment where you can have fun trying things. Um, and so when you when things fail or go wrong, you can learn from it. It's like I've, I've stated that, you know, scientists don't do one experiment. And if it goes wrong, they stop being scientists. They just run another experiment. You have to think of it that way. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Um, I would think, and uh, well, the way I've done it is through mind mapping. Like I think mind mapping was like the gateway for me is to yeah. sketch out with mind mapping because it's already pretty loose. Do you mm -hmm. find that that is that a place where you experimented was with mind mapping? 
I wasn't a big mind mapper, but I do like the practice. I've used it on occasion. Um, I think that's a great entry point because um, it mimics uh, one of the layouts that I see pretty often used called radial, where you have a central theme, very much like a mind map. And then you have uh, points or elements that mm -hmm. float around that central point. It doesn't have to be in the middle of the page, but very often it is. Um, so that's a really great one-to-one -one mapping to a radial sketch note, which means instead of just using text in your mind map, maybe you can you know letter the topic, make it larger, right? Give it some emphasis. Uh, maybe you have a picture like the topic is gardening, and so you make an attempt to draw some element of your garden next to the new title that you've created. And then around the edge when you're doing the mind mapping, maybe you just add little little icons to each one of those concepts. Right, that's all you would need to do to make that a sketch note, and it gives you a visual representation. And the thing I guess I would argue too is by doing this visualization, you are using a different part of your brain than uses words, and that means that those ideas are spreading in other areas of your brain. Your neurons are firing and connecting, and that your memory would increase because you're using more of your brain to remember those concepts. So if your words fail you, your visual memory might come to its aid. So whenever you're building something, or and especially when the book came out, what was the most surprising thing that you think caught fire? Like, does, is there something that you remember that you're like, I didn't expect this to be the thing? Was it maybe the, you mentioned Germany, like, was it the different countries? Or was there a particular thing that you're like, this was maybe an afterthought and it became the, a, a primary thought? Like, I'd love to hear that because often we mm. put, when we put something out of the world, it's no longer ours, Right. So right. I, I'd be fast. I mean, and I always find it fascinating when people, you know, I put something out of the world, like, I love this. I'm like, that wasn't even the thing that I thought you would love, but that's really cool. So I'd love to hear some thoughts on that from you with the experience, of, especially 10 years in. Yeah, exactly. I think um, probably the thing that comes to mind immediately is the education space. So teachers and educators, we really didn't plan for them. I was concerned that maybe teachers would be mad at me because then kids would want a sketch note and they'd have to like, figure out a way to solve this problem. Actually, the, the opposite happened. Um, teachers found this idea. They realized that not only could I allow my kids to visualize, which they're going to do anyway, I have to like stop them from doing. I can then take this thing that they want to do and then redirect it toward learning and memory. So they're learning things and then they're remembering it better, which, and it's something fun and it seems like I'm giving them. And they, a lot of teachers really went full force into it started doing it, started teaching it. I would see these conferences come up and say, so-and-so is teaching sketchnoting. I didn't even know who this person was. And I was like, yes, this is great, right? I That was the hope, right? That people would pick up on it. If you think about Seth Godin's idea virus concept, like if an idea is good, there's like no way you're going to stop it. And I have a feeling that sketchnoting was a lot like that. It came at the right time um, and the right people saw it and uh, adopted it and applied it to their own context. I guess the other thing I would say is being happy that we intentionally made the book very evergreen and principles based. Like mm. um, we didn't, we didn't, if you look in it, there's a few mentions of technology, like a phone and an old iPad, right? Yeah. Um, yep. But it's really minimal. Uh, we focused a lot on what are the principles because we felt like even if technology surprises us in the next five, 10 years, the principles will always remain the same. Um, and so that was really helpful. Because as sketchnoting started moving to iPads and pencils and, and Android tablets and stuff like that, um, it could adapt to it because it, we really focused on, on that part of it 
And it, so it made it last longer and made it more adaptable. I think that's part of why it lasted 10 years. And when you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned Flickr out of the gate, which again, you know, um, it's not really rest in peace, but it's like, okay, we know some of us remember it. Um, and it's still around, but my, what's interesting is I've noticed over the last probably couple of years specifically is social media has gravitated towards visuals way more and not like polished graphics, like very, I mean, we're getting some of that, but that raw element of sketch noting that I've seen, you know, either, um, demonstrated, possibly even replicated, whatever, like you were just alluding to, um, have you seen that? And where are some of the places that sketch notes have popped up beyond the education field? Like, are you like Twitter? Mm-hmm. I, I've seen elements of it, of course. Um, you know, Instagram, I think would be a place. Um, right. But even like on YouTube and things like that, like, are you seeing in you know, the proliferation of it in those bite sized social pieces? Because to it seems to me, and you know, my experience with sketch noting is that it is something that um, there is the rawness to it uh, is not off-putting, but alluring. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say Instagram, you named one that I think is probably the one that I see it the most in um, Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. That's sort of where I've centered my focus and attention of all the social media platforms because it's visual Yep. uh, because that's, that activity is happening there. There is definitely still a sketchnoting community on Twitter, but you know, as we record this, like who knows what's going to happen to Twitter. It seems like, (laughs) <laughs> Elon is trying to drive it on the ground at this point, but um, I mean, it, it's, it does, it, it's a different kind of environment um, and sort of graphics are, I guess, a second to the text. But they stand out, would, but they stand they out do, when, when you use pop, it, yeah. it's, it, it pops it. And I think that's one thing that people are leveraging, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, it's changed, like it's, it's changed and also the environment has changed. Like back in the, in the South by days, I remember Twitter being kind of revolutionary because I remember when South by would happen, if you were going, you were tweeting to everybody and they were all, everybody who wasn't going was jealous and blocking you or yep. meeting you. Right. So the thing that I noticed was when I started doing sketch notes at South by, and then I had a phone, which I could take photos immediately afterwards and post them that a weird dynamic was happening with sketch notes. When I would go to an event, take pictures and post it right after I left that people were excited and it felt as though they were invited to be there too, mm. right? As opposed to being this, oh, you're not here, nah, 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 nah. Like even, you know, uh, quote tweeting events didn't even kind of get that attention because I think the visual element really drew people in and they could make their own kind of choices based on what they were seeing um, by by looking at these images. So it mm. it's definitely had an impact and, you know, Instagram just kind of leans even further into that, although even... Instagram is now changing and something else you say is I really appreciate when I see raw um, sketch notes with immediacy, but there are also a lot of people doing polished ones where, you know, they they're using an iPad and they're doing a lot of undo and who knows how many hours they took to make this beautiful, it kind of moves into illustration at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Which is okay, but like it's, it sort of loses its immediacy and it's got a different appeal. So it's funny. I did a few years ago, I did a talk And it was, I was trying to do something different at a conference and everybody had their slides and all that. And I literally, and this is before Procreate was around, which is Mm -hmm. what I would use now. So I was using paper, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the 52, whatever the, what's the the, the name? We transfer owns them now. Yeah. Yeah. I use that all the time. It's a great tool. So I use that 
And what was cool is I was able to sketch something and then duplicate the slide and then change it ever so slightly. So it looked, it, it was really raw. Like it didn't take me a lot of time to put together. Cause again, I believe slides should support the material and not like kind of be the material. And people were, my biggest fear was that people go, look, he's phoning it in and look at it. It's not like compare. It's not, but people were like, that was great. Like it was cause it was so different. And I think that's the real appeal to sketch noting is that it it's another way to kind of express ideas mm-hmm. that is that and and I think do you think sketch do you think that your your work has broken down the barrier of when something looks like a sketch note it's not hey this person just drafted this up quickly and it's been drawn on the back of a napkin kind of thing have has that kind of barrier been broken to a degree um or is there still work to be done there where people are like well that doesn't really look professional. That doesn't really like when you're depending on what you're presenting. I mean, I know that you alluded to this earlier, like maybe don't do it for certain types of presentations, mm-hmm. but do you think that there's less hesitance to use sketch noting in maybe something that's grander or, I mean, I remember Merlin used photos of index cards, year, Merlin right. man index cards years ago for his Google talk. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I just love to hear your thoughts on this because you've seen it over the last 10 years. I think it's sort of in progress. I would say that it is more accepted, but there's probably always going to be some who maybe don't like it. Um, the other thing to consider is a graphic recording or professional sketch noting, which is where a company will hire someone with an iPad or a big board who has lots of training and skill doing this work in front of a live audience. In yeah. many cases, will produce beautiful, gorgeous work. In fact, you know they might, you know, they're aiming for an illustrative look, right? So they'll they'll do the thing live and then they'll go back and clean it up and then deliver that image for the social media or the website or whatever. So on the one end, there's like this beautiful work by talented artists who are trained and are paid to do that work. It's sort of, um, there's sort of a push on regular people to like make it look like that maybe internally, like, Oh, I have to make it look like such and so made it look, but you don't realize that in their context, they're being paid. They work eight hours a day. They've been trained for two years. They, you know, there's all these uh, underlying supports that make it possible for them to do that. And that is their whole career, right? To do that work. Where if you're just a person doing sketch notes, um, you're in a different kind of context, right? So I always argue that sketch notes, especially for yourself, are are for you yourself first and others second. So when I even when I was experimenting, they were just for me. Yeah. I found that they helped me and I had this realization like, wow, if this is really helping me, there must be other people who uh, could be helped by this too. So I need to share it. So that was my first intention was to try and share and teach other people how to do this and think like, how can I explain that to someone who doesn't have any drawing skill at all? Because I I had a real strong belief that draw, a strong drawing skill was not a requirement. It was much more about listening analyzing and making sense of things and then the best you can capture it on the page. Now, of course, you can always improve how you capture it on the page. Your drawing can get better. Your lettering can get better. Your handwriting can get better. Your layout can get better. Like all those things are improvements, but it can't replace um, listening and uh, processing and analyzing because that's really what it's all about is making sense of it. Because you, you know, you think about an event you might go to as an example, you spend thousands of dollars paying for the event, flying to the event, for the hotel, for the food. And you want something of value to take back and apply to your work or to your life. 
So why wouldn't you invest time to really listen and analyze and figure out like what things are going to help me achieve what I've set out to do by spending all this money and investing in myself? It's a way to to capture it and then have a reference to look back on as you make those changes to maybe you print it out and stick it on your wall to remind yourself of what your intentions were. And then you can see those those intentions through the work that you capture. So I've had you on the show before to talk about the daily plan bar, which is like, you know, and, and that what you just talked to is a great kind of segue into this idea of listening, paying attention, distilling, analyzing. Do you journal? And if you do, do you sketch note as your journal entries? I do. And I do. Um, and it varies. Uh -huh. So um, I do bullet journaling, a variation of it. Okay. Um, a lot of the things that writer uh, offers. And I, I think I've talked to him before too. And he, he sort of captured all these elements that seem to have worked for him and that you're free to kind of pick the things that work for you. Mm -hmm. um, I tried my best to do indexes and stuff. And I just, I'm more in the moment with mine. So I just do them a week at a time and they keep on going. Right. And then I'll index them when they're full. Right. Sure. That's just, that's just reality for me. Like I, I probably should try some other things. I don't really use monthly things. I've got a calendar for that. Like I've sort of got an integrated practice. But what I have developed is um, daily plan bar, which you mentioned, and we, you probably can put links into. Yep, we'll put links into the really show notes for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically, I draw a bar down the left side of uh, the left side of a spread of two pages. Um, I mark it off so that I can basically represent my, at least my work day. And if, if possible, a few hours after work for anything I might do right after work. Uh, what I've sort of changed to, and I need to update my post is, in the past, I used to do this one page per day. And then on the right page, I would put a bar on the right side. And then my tasks or my bullet lists would go in the middle of the page. What I found was in practicing this is I kept getting frustrated that my right page was consumed with another day. And I needed more room to like take notes and draw things and experiment and explore. So what I've done is I've now, I can even show you my book. <laughs> Yeah, if you're, um, if you're if you're watching this as a premium member, yeah. you can kind so of see. So it's not been, you know, it's not been filled in today. So you can see I've got, I've got uh, the yep. date on on uh, on the left page in the bar. So you can see the the mm -hmm. bars on this side. Yep. And then I've got you know my tasks I haven't filled in yet. And yep. then on the right side is what I call the log page. Yep. So the log page can be anything. It can be notes talking with colleagues. It can be ideas. It can be drawings of things that I need to solve. And a lot of times drawings do get involved in the making of that right page. Sometimes the right log page goes blank. Uh, and there's times when I think, oh man, I'm being so wasteful of all this paper. But the reality is, um, I actually come back to those pages and I'll fill them in with stuff. Like, I'll, like I, I have to write notes, I'll quick flip back and I'll find an empty page. As an example, here's one. Yeah. I guess I can probably share. I have a friend I, I did some logo sketching for. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, So it's just I a bunch of that. sketches. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it just happened to be empty and I used it. Um, so if there are empty pages and I need one, I'll just flip back and find one and use it. It doesn't have to be in order. So it's sort of a luxury that I give to myself. I burn through books faster, but it fits the way that I work because I, in some ways, having this blank page that's set aside called a log page kind of invite invites me to use it every day or whenever I need it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of enjoy it. That's That's the modification I've made over the last couple of years is to bind in this log page that's open for me. And then it just encourages me to do more note-taking and sketch noting. 
um, in the, in that, on that page. Well, and, and, and I mean, one side is for your tasks and one are for ideas mm-hmm. and anything that comes up. So it makes perfect sense that the whole yeah. span of those two pages is essentially the story of the day to a degree. And then right. you've just expanded to give you the freedom of like, Hey, if nothing happened on that day, oh, well, I've got, I've got a blank slate, which, and, and you'll be able to do the correlation by going, ah, I remember this, like they, yeah. the, the, I might the, date it or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you don't even have to do that. That's the great thing is you get the freedom to, um, a couple more questions before we wrap up. One is another, this is from Edward from uh, the time crafting trust premium community. This is an interesting question. Cause I don't know that you can, but you would, because you've done this is, can you teach people to think in images? Hmm. I think it can be, I think it can be taught because I think we do think in images. What it is, is more of a, how do you take the way you, the way you think in images and actually become aware of it? Um, Because, you know, we, we probably are, I'm not sure about the research on this. It's very likely that the words that we speak and that we process may be images in our brains for all I know. I don't know. But I think we do think in images. Obviously, if someone can't see, that's different, but they might mentally be generating images, even if they're blind, right? So um, I think we do, to some degree, think in images. It's more of a matter of how do you harness it and how do you capture it? That would be the way I would think about it. And I think the way that you do is just to sit and it's almost like meditation. You just become aware of the images that are coming into your mind. And maybe that's the, the sketch note practice you can do is start drawing the things that are coming to mind, whatever they are, and then see, you could mind map them and see how they connect together, right? Maybe they don't connect together at all, but that could be an interesting practice to try, like five minutes of just whatever's coming to mind, just capture it visually, whatever you're seeing uh, on the page. I almost wonder if what happens is we think in images, then we write the word to describe it. And what we almost could do is go, okay, this is the word. Now, how do I convey the image back? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, people love graphic, like graphical images because there's mm-hmm. a, um, the, again, they kind of pop. I mean, you've, you've done images for, who, who have you done books, uh, illustrations for in books? You've done. Um, like rework and rework. remote. Yep. Yeah. You did. Uh, Gilbo's, Gilbo's. Uh, $100 startup. Yep. Yeah. What else have you, you though, basically those are the ones that I think you've done for, have you done others uh, as well? A little book of talent and a little book of yeah. uh, Daniel culture. Coyle. Yeah. Daniel, uh, stuff. Daniel Coyle stuff. Um, and those things just stand out. They pop. Right. So if, and I know when I've seen those illustrations, while they don't necessarily mean the same thing to me as uh, say another reader, the more you, the better you get at it, or maybe even the, <laughs> Maybe even the, the, it's almost like a first draft would look like, you know, maybe less people would understand what it is, but the second draft might be a, a bit more um, under yeah. uh, understood. I think that's the challenge is to flip the word back into the image so that, because the words mm-hmm. are a language that we understand. You could translate, you know, the right. word email to any language in the world and people go, oh, well, we're talking about the same thing, but it's the image that's interesting. And it's not just interesting, I don't think, because it's, I think it's interesting because it's so nuanced, right? And maybe that's the, when, when, as I go through, and this is the hardest thing. And, and this is where I think we should wrap up is I, I struggled with sketch noting, not because it was challenging to do, but because I was challenged myself to doing it right. Mm, and I think yeah. that was the, that was the mistake Mm. I yeah. would love to. So if someone gets caught in that, cause I, I mean, there are lots of people, we, I see this with systems all the time. Oh, I didn't do 
you just mentioned, the wasteful page. Well, I have a paper planner and I didn't fill out that page. Oh, therefore the planner sucks and I screwed it up and da 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 da. Right? Like it's that. So for someone who may face that challenge and say, I'd love to give sketchnoting a try, but I suck at drawing. I'm not my my handwriting is chicken scratch. I'm not sure. And then there's no way I can do it right out of the gate. What 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 do you say to them? Mm, that's a great question. And I do get that a fair amount. Um and I guess the question is right is right in relationship to what? Right. Right in relationship to what you've someone else has done who's got five years of experience and has does it full time. And right, that's not a fair comparison for you to start with. One of the, I would say one of the things around the handbook and the workbook is I worked really hard to get samples in those books of a variety of people's work. Some who were graphic designers and were skilled, and some who were like librarians or technologists who were not skilled in drawing. Because again, the idea was the drawing wasn't the important part. It was the listening and the analyzing in the organization that was most important. So it sounds to me like someone here might be potentially a perfectionist. They picked some some goal that they need to attain. Maybe they're very goal-driven and they've chosen, I want to be like um, my friend Eva Lotta Lamb, who's an amazing sketchnoter. I want to, I want my sketch notes to look like her. Mm-hmm. That's a good goal to have. But to expect you to do it the first time and make it look like hers is not realistic. She's been doing, she's been trained as a designer. She's been doing sketchnoting as long as I have. Um, and she's done it professionally, right? So she's got different skill sets. So what I go back to is what's worked for me in my exercise and health routines has been setting minimums, right? I'll do 10 minutes of yoga this morning. I will uh, eat these many calories and lean toward um, protein over carbohydrates, right? Or uh, I'll just go walking for five minutes, yep. right? You set these minimums. And if you want to keep going, hey, go for it. Like I, no one's going to stop you. So maybe it's maybe it's a 10-minute TED Talk where you experiment with it and you try one aspect. Like I want to do headlines. Like kind of like I talked about before. If you write text notes, you say, in this one, I'm going to, everything I feel like is a headline, I'm going to make a headline. And then I'll write some notes under it. That's all it's going to be. It's going to be one page going to only use my black pen. And those are the constraints. So I think constraints in this case are your friend and that you set minimums uh, so that you, once you meet those minimums, you've succeeded. And then you can start, you sort of, your mind almost frees itself to now explore like, well, okay, so I've met the minimums. I'm going to draw something, right? Let's draw a little picture over in the right corner because I had that extra space. You've now exceeded the minimum and now you're kind of pushing and now you have criteria for your next experiment. Okay, next time let's add two images, right? And you just keep on notching it up just a little bit more each time, right? Last question, Um, 10 years from now. So you've done 10 years, 10 years from now, what do you have plans? Are you kind of, what do you, what do you think the future holds for you and the work you're doing in this field and, and the book in particular, because you've got, I mean, you're going to have other anniversaries two years from now, it'll be the workbook. And then the, you know, the, the idea book, what will, what do you, what do you think as you look, look ahead? Well, I think 10 years from now for the book itself, I hope that it continues to sell. We've talked about doing a revised edition. Maybe that includes principles for digital sketch noting, right? How can we do the same thing we did for analog for digital that's not dependent on any app or any hardware platform, but still hold true for those platforms. That could be interesting. Um, so that that's a thought was be to expand and do a new edition for the book, uh, that it would continue to sell and be attractive. Um, I would love it if sketchnoting 
was consistently used in schools. I know it's making its headway in, but to have it as an option for students who think that way or want to think that way as a as a common way to do almost like Cornell notes are now, right? Every teacher kind of knows what Cornell notes are. It'd be really cool if sketch notes was another one of those options like, hey, you can do sketch notes, right? And that would be a huge win for the book and its impact on, I guess, society and people. I guess personally for me, I would love, uh, I love teaching this stuff and going deeper into how I think about things. So 10 years from now, I would love to have spoken and taught lots of courses for lots of different people all over the world. Um, I'm kind of already doing that now. So to continue doing that would be fantastic because I think, I, I always think if I just help the next one person, it's hard to know how many people they will impact. Um, but even if they don't, to make the change their life and help their lives get better, that's really what it's all about. It. You go back to like, I was really in pain <laughs> taking notes and this one little experiment changed it all. And my hope is that Offering it this to some people, that might be the change that they need as well. The book is the Sketchnote Handbook, the Illustrated Guide to Visual Note Taking. You've got the 10th anniversary edition in your hands. I've got the yeah. zero anniversary edition in mine. <laughs> but um, where can people pick up the book and where can people keep up with the work that you're doing as well? Sure. Well, I would say the, the best place to go is just go to my website, rowdesign.com. You'll see it right on the front page right now. Uh, this is going to air uh, November 30th yep. through the end of December. Mm -hmm. There is a discount. Uh, if you use discount code HAPPY10 at peachbit.com, which you can find on roadesign.com too. Uh, peachbit.com uh, code HAPPY10 will get you two books for half off. So if you want to buy the handbook and the workbook together, if you want to buy the hardcover book and the ebook together, if you want to get the hardcover book and the video together, we got a bunch of different components. You can mix them together in sets of two and you get them for half off. So that's a pretty good deal. Mike, thanks so much for having a productive conversation with me today. It's been great to have, have it with you too, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Mike for joining me on the program. You can get all of the links and everything that you need, not just in the podcast app you're using right now, but also at productivityist.com slash podcast 451. And happy anniversary, Mike, to the sketch note handbook. By the way, the other thing you can do when you're listening to this on the podcast app that you're using right now is subscribe to the program. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. And you can easily search through the archives and find those previous appearances of Mike Grody, as well as a bunch of other people that I know you're going to want to listen to. So tons of productive conversations. Easiest way to access them is to subscribe to the podcast. The other way to support the show, by the way, is to check out the sponsors that you heard mentioned during today's episodes. So you can find them at productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors. That's it for this time around. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation. Thanks for joining me. And until next time, stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later. <laughs>